perception versus reality. You have all the power in your hand on today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Social Pilot, the social media and marketing tool for bloggers and small businesses. Join over 20,000 social media pros at servenomaster.com backslash socialpilot today. Are you tired of dealing with your boss? Do you feel underpaid and underappreciated? If you want to make it online, fire your boss and start living your retirement dreams now. Then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Serve No Master Podcast, where you'll learn how to open new revenue streams and make money while you sleep. Presented live from a tropical island in the South Pacific by best-selling author Jonathan Green. Now, here's your host. I couldn't wait to share this lesson with you. Right now I'm outside, it is pouring rain, and there's a dog that won't stop barking. So if you hear the occasional bark in the background, it's not my dog, and I apologize, but I just want to get this out there. I've been struggling with the weather for the last few weeks. As you know, it's the rainy season here. It's raining all the time, and I'm working really hard to get these episodes out to you despite the background noise challenge. That's my biggest limitation is the background noise and the fact that I've been a little bit sick but I couldn't wait to get this to you. I'm standing here on my deck. I'm actually in the water. My feet are soaking wet, but this is an important lesson to really understand the difference. The idea for this and one of my core concepts comes from a Sun Tzu quote. Uh, There's a Sun Tzu quote that comes from the art of war. All warfare is based on deception. And if we just change two of those words, it becomes more powerful and very modern. All business is based on perception. So we change warfare to business and deception to perception. Because the way we view the world affects how we react to it. When you can change how other people perceive you, anything becomes possible. And I'm going to take you through how altering perception can make you a lot of money really quick. In the 1980s, when I was growing up, I was born in 1980, I used to see a lot of these television commercials uh, late at night where there was a guy standing in front of a boat with two blonde ladies in bikinis. And he was talking about making money, usually by buying and selling land or buying and selling houses. And he would say, come down to the Marriott by the airport this weekend and I'll teach you my whole system. And that's kind of my first exposure to direct marketing that I remember. There may have been other things as well. That's one that I really remember where it went from a commercial to meeting a person to buying a kind of a training product. And the reason this worked, the reason people would see those and go is because we see a guy with a boat and two women that are pretty must be rich. Of course, the boat was probably rented. The two women were models, of course, but he was able to manipulate perception to rent a boat for a photo shoot and two models for the day, probably cost him for the whole day back in the 80s, less than $200. But we see a millionaire when we see those things. There's ways we can affect perception. And because we see him as richer than he is, we're more likely to trust someone. And that core concept hasn't changed that much. Now, We've slightly changed the way we message things. If we see the exact same imagery now, it seems a little bit cheesy or hokey, but it doesn't have to be that different to be effective. Understanding what works on us will help you understand what will work on your customers, followers, fans, and potential clients. See, these days, the world is filled with something called the 30K millionaire. There are people who make 30 to $40,000 a year, and they're totally focused on perception. I have many friends like this. They drive very expensive cars, And anyone who sees them from the outside goes, wow, this person's driving a $100,000 car. They must be so rich. I had a friend when I used to sell computers on the phone. We made the exact same amount of money because we were ranked very closely in the ranking. So I knew exactly what he made almost to the dollar every single month. He was driving 
a really nice Lexus. And I was driving a much cheaper car and I go, what are you doing? He bought a brand new car, not used or anything. He bought it after we were working together for a few months. And he goes, I want to look awesome. I want to look rich. At the time, he was still living with his parents. Now, let me be very clear. He wasn't sleeping in a bedroom. He was sleeping on a couch in the hallway in his parents' house between his parents and his younger siblings' bedrooms. Perception was so important to him in the outside world that he was willing to sleep in a very uncomfortable situation to improve his perception. He could have had an apartment in a slightly less expensive car. The car every month, the payment on his car was almost the total of what he was making every month. He just had enough left over to pay to gas to and from work. And he said to me, I don't care about the house. No one can see that. And his culture as an individual was all about perception. 100% all that matters is perception. Now, this is 10 years ago. I don't know where he is now. He may have become very, very, very successful or he may have stayed at that level. I left the job before he did. I went in another direction. But he, of course, had limited options after that. He had to make enough money every month to pay this car bill. So while I wanted to leave the job, he obviously couldn't because he owed that too much money. But we end up in these situations where we borrow money to create the perception around us, whether it's a house we can't really afford or a car we can't really afford. Americans is a tendency. We have a tendency to spend about 10% more than we make. And a lot of people, especially younger people, we watch these shows like Cribs. And I used to be Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous when I was a kid. The thing about Cribs that I know is that it's never the real house. That television show on MTV is actually the celebrity would rent a house and then pretend it's their house for one day because most of them are smart enough to know, hey, I don't want everyone in the world to know exactly where I live. So they would use a rental house. So we're watching these houses that the person still rented. It's the same thing, just like the guy in the 80s renting the boat. We watch someone rent a house and again, affects perception. And you could rent a really, really nice house for not that much money. To rent like a you know, $10 million house for a day is probably $10,000 or less. This is one day. Amazing. Perception affects everyone. And so the people who saw that want to create the same perception. We have this ability to make decisions and to quickly decide how we rank people. It's called thin slicing if you read the Markham Gladwell book. But the idea is that you look at someone, you quickly decide where they belong, what they are most similar to from your past. If we look at high school students, and if you remember being in high school, depending on how old you are, when I was in high school, we broke kids into nerds, jocks, goth kids, which goth kids seem to be gone now. I guess emo kids is the replacement. But we used to have those different groups. Maybe in the 70s, you called them burnouts, right? The kids that listen to Grateful Dead or whatever. So we have, like, we group people very quickly. Because as we become adults, we do similar things. We still only group people into 10 or 20 categories at most. Oh, he looks kind of like a businessman. She looks like a soccer mom. We have these terms because to fully analyze people takes a long time. Imagine you're in a nightclub and there's 100 people in there with you. If you were to try to fully catalyze 100 people, take the whole night, you wouldn't be able to talk to them. You'd be so busy analyzing and determining where everyone fits. So we do this thing that takes just a couple of seconds where we kind of categorize people. And then once we see what category that we react to that. And so understanding that means we can change that perception. If we change perception, we change how people treat you. And that's the core of this lesson. That's the core of this episode. We can alter the way people treat you in business. Now, here's a simple example. You're in a gas station. Someone asks you, hey, hey buddy, can I borrow a dollar? You turn around. It's a homeless guy. You're probably going to say no. But if it's a guy in a suit, you'll probably say yes. And this isn't just my opinion. This is a study that's been conducted many, many times since around the 1960s. People tested this idea that we're more likely to loan money to people that don't actually need it. It comes from perception. We think, oh, this guy's asking for money. He's wearing a suit. 
He doesn't really need it. He's not going to use it for something bad. For some reason, he just doesn't have a dollar. I'm helping someone out on the same level as me. If it's a homeless person, we say, oh, they're probably going to use it for something naughty, something bad. I'm helping someone or I'm encouraging bad behavior. See, we have this thought, if we give money to someone who's homeless, like, oh, if everyone gives this guy homeless, he's never going to charge his life around. He's going to be homeless forever. So as much as I might be helping him in the short term, I'm hurting him in the long term. Now, rather than get into the politics of anything, I just want to say that's how we kind of thin slice. And that's what those scientific studies show. Obviously, you can be different. You can be an outlier. But this is how the public in general reacts. We're more likely to loan money to someone who looks nice than someone who looks poor. Rich versus poor. Nice versus dirty. Now, if you're a freelancer, and many of you are starting out trying to hit your first success online, if you're working right now in fast food and you're making $11, $12, $15 an hour, and you want to jump into the level where you're getting paid $50 or $100 an hour writing for people, writing articles, writing novels, whatever, the way people perceive you affects how much they pay you. And I'm aware of this effect and I even see it when I'm hiring people, the way they talk to me affects how much I offer them for jobs. So when someone is not making much money or someone is struggling, they negotiate very differently than someone who isn't. They act very different across the whole process. When you project success, people will pay you more. And the ways to do this are, first of all, to remove desperation from any of your communication and to not push for speed. One of the biggest signs uh, that someone really needs to close a deal is when they go, I haven't heard from you in a few days. I want to see what's going on. We do the follow-ups, but we do them too quickly. It's okay to follow up when you haven't heard from someone. But if it becomes clear that you're in a rush because you need that payment because you got to make your bills that weekend, you're going to make less. The person's going to react differently. If you reveal to someone that you're behind financially, like, hey, look, I just need this job. Money's a little tight right now. Can we just close this deal? They're going to pay you less. Even though they might pay you faster, they might pay $500 now, but they would have paid you $1,500 next week. It can be that much of a difference. And if you're in a tight financial situation, sometimes you get in those moments where it's really tough and you think, hey, if I just tell this person what's going on, they're more likely to close, but it's not true. It's the opposite. As much as you're trying to be honest, what we do is not always the same as what people perceive. What matters is not what you say, but it's what the other person hears. In the same way as you're building up your website or anything, if you act like you're successful, people will treat you that way. When I first started selling SEO, the very first money I made online, I posted an ad on Craigslist. I barely had a WordPress blog up. The text was almost unreadable. It was blue text on a black background, dark blue on a dark black. I'm almost totally unreadable. Horrible, horrible website. I wish I had pictures of it still just to kind of show you. I wish I had a memory of that. But when I met clients, I said, look, I'm already in the game. I don't have time for non-serious clients. And because I acted like that, because I acted with a level of confidence, I started getting money from the very first meeting. I got my very first check for $200. She agreed to start at $200 a month and jump to $500 a month three months later, 90 days later. And that's how I started making money online. That was my very first income. Now, a couple of important things along the way. I wasn't perfect. That's why I got a check for only $200. But at least I got the check at the very first meeting through my confidence. And over time, I've learned the more you project confidence, and again, I talk in the book Serve the Master about this, how sometimes I'll be in a meeting, I'll say huge numbers, see what happens. And I do it in both directions. I was talking to someone the other day who says, hey, how much would you pay for this? I go, 100 bucks? When I don't know what something's worth, I always bid super low. So whenever I'm doing like a technology project, this is where people are really trying to play the game. I uh, recently was getting a piece of software developed and I sent it out to a bunch of different people. I post on Upwork. I sent a couple of people direct messages through a few forums. And they go, well, what do you want to spend? And I'm not going to tell people because if you say two to $300, they'll say, oh, it's $300. If you say one to $200, they'll go, oh, it's 200 They often will say it's your top number. I say, no, no, just tell me. And I send it to three people. One person said $900, one person said $1,500, and one person said $300. 
Who do you think I hired? I hired the $300 person because I knew it should be around $300 because it wasn't an overly complicated project. Sometimes people, they push perception too far and they way, way overcharge. So they perceive me because we hadn't communicated before. They thought, oh, this person's a sucker. I'll charge them four times going rate. So when people misperceive me, they form a wrong bid. They see my success online. They assume for some reason that's combined with dumbness or naivete. And so they try to overcharge me, even though, of course, I said, I'm actually sending this out to multiple people. They assumed, oh, everyone will send them false bids. And of course, as soon as I said, oh, I hired someone else, they go, oh, no, I'll actually do it for $300. I go, you just said it was $1,300. What are you doing? So you don't want to go too far in the other direction if you want the work, where you charge way more than the going rate. But there is a spectrum for what people will pay for writing or for coding. And you can say, this is where I'm at. Some people charge... 10% of a penny per word to write, and some people charge 10 cents per write. That's 100 times difference. One person charges 10 times more per word, and there are people who will pay it. So you can be within that spectrum. As long as you're within the spectrum of what people actually charge, you can put yourself at a higher level. I used to do this all the time. So if you're on Upwork, constantly tweak your profile, constantly add in things to make you seem more successful, and raise your rate every couple of months. You know, if you had it at $12 a month now, raise it to 15, then two months, raise it to 20, then raise it to 25. As you have a higher number, people go, wow, this guy must be really good to be charging that. I've seen plenty of people that charge 65 or 120 on Upwork. Okay, you can create the perception that you're an expert just by raising the price on your profile. And then when you send a bid to someone and it's a little bit lower, they'll be very excited to be happy to work with you. I work with people where I often start off with a really high bid. They go, oh, we're actually thinking of spending this. I go, you know what? This is our first time working together. I'll do it for that lower price. Sometimes that lower price is what I was originally thinking anyways. But I bid high, then I lower down to what I was originally thinking about charging, and they feel like they've won. They feel better about the job. I'm creating the perception. See, a best deal, the best deal is where both people feel like they've won. I feel good because I got what I originally wanted. They feel good because they talked me down to my original stretch price. Now, the other reason I do a stretch price is it makes me seem more successful. They go, wow, this guy's charging that. He must be really successful. Now, here's the thing. I recently went up a huge leap in what I charge. I recently doubled what I charge in the last three months for projects. The first time I did it, I was just putting a toe in the water to see what happens. And the guy said, yes. And I go, whoa, I thought he was going to top me down, but he didn't. All he did was negotiate for pay all up front to 50-50 split pay, which is standard anyways. So I go, oh, that must be my new rate. <laughs> So the first time you do it, right, you're just stretching and you're guessing. And then the second time you do it, you go, oh, no, this is my new rate. And the second time someone hires you at the new price, now you're like, okay, definitely is. I have two different data points that proves a confirmation. This is what I'm worth now. That's how we can begin to determine our value. You can raise your price, someone pays it, and you go, oh, that's what I'm worth. So the first time that you have to act like it, the first time you're faking it, the second time you go, oh, maybe it's real. The third time you go, okay, it definitely is real. And you can keep doing that over and over again. This is how you can keep giving yourself. Or raise. The great thing about being a freelancer, being self-employed, is that you determine your salary. I know people who've been doing the same thing for 10 years and haven't given themselves a raise. One of the ladies who works for me, I noticed, I go, have you not raised your rates in two years? I just, I go, I assumed that you had at some point. And she goes, no, it's been the same since you hired me. I go, well, that's insane. Give yourself a 10% raise as of today. (laughs) You got to, what are you doing? I assumed it. So some people don't do it. And also some people only do it between clients. So fair enough, me and her have had a steady relationship. I gave her a raise once I realized that she hadn't done it herself. I'm so used to doing it myself. Not everyone does it, and that's okay. So I checked in, but she probably is charging newer clients more, which means I could start to become her least important client. I don't want that. So I often change rates between clients, but sometimes I, I mean, I also do it between projects for individual clients. But if you're on a long-term project like she is for me, she's been working with me part-time for 
two or three years now, there wasn't really an opportunity unless she asked for it, I guess, to manually raise her rates. I just thought she would do it in the background like I do sometimes. But when you create the perception that you're doing good, when you don't reveal that money's tight and you don't reveal this is the first project you've ever done, when you hide all of those things and instead focus on your success, when you act like things are going really, really good, it's very easy for you to get those sweet high paying projects because perception is everything. The way we do business and the way we react to projects is based on how people treat themselves. Your self-confidence, your sense of self-worth determines how much money you make. Would you listen to this podcast if I acted more demure like I wasn't very successful, if I hid the fact that I live on a tropical island? I'm standing outside right now. And yes, it's pouring rain because it's uh, the rainy season, so the ocean looks gray in front of me, but I'm still only 70 meters from the water. And there's nothing between me and the ocean. There's just a boat in the water that I can see. I don't need to hide my success. I also don't flaunt it so hard. You know, I, I'm not one of those websites where I post how much money I make every month. I know some people do that and some people really like that, some don't. That's just not something that I do. But I allow you to see my success. I like to see that perception. And that's why you're interested in what I'm doing. So if you didn't perceive me as successful, you wouldn't care about my books or my stories or anything. You'd think, oh, this guy's just an idiot who's talking the talk. So perception is very important even in our relationship. And for the people that I follow, there are certainly people who put out courses that I buy, read, and follow to improve what I'm doing. I'm always trying to get better at certain things. And this comes from that place. So as you're thinking about how to move forward in business, whether you're thinking about uh, applying for a new job and going to a job interview, whether you're thinking about taking on new projects or freelancing or putting down your rates, this principle is consistent. The way I got the job, the university job, the last office job I ever had that I was horribly underqualified for, the last job I got, the one they fired me from, when I was in the meeting, I act like they were lucky I showed up. That was my mindset. My interview mindset is you guys are lucky I even came. And when I started acting like that, which sounds a little bit, uh, you know, like a bit of a jerk, I started getting a really high response rate. Would apply for jobs from a place of, oh my gosh, please hire me, I really need the money. I would struggle. When I started acting like you guys are lucky I'm here, I started getting offered almost every job I applied for. One of the most powerful things I ever tested. When I switched the way I behaved and started focusing on how lucky they are, I'm here, I started sitting in a much more casual way. I didn't act in any way like, oh, I'm so glad you have me here, or any of those things. And said my questions would be much more pointed. You know, at the end of every interview, if they already have any questions, most of those questions, they don't ask any because they don't want to say anything that might lose them the job. And instead, when I started saying things like, well, why should I even take this job? What makes this job so great? Is there any wiggle room on the salary? When you start saying things like that, they go, whoa, this person must be super successful to even ask that. We'd be really lucky to hire them, even though we got to pay 10% more. So perception can change even when you're doing uh, traditional job work, even when you're going to another company or applying for jobs or any of those things. If you've been struggling to get back to work, that slight change in attitude will make a big difference. One of the things that people out of work struggle with is that over time, they get more and more depressed or they seem more distant. You know, I haven't been out of, I've been out of work for two weeks. I've been out of work for six weeks. I've worked for six months. As the time gets more and more, your desperation goes up. So your behavior in interviews gets a little worse. You get more and more depressed. I was reading this article yesterday or the day before about someone who tried to get a job as a coder. They went through school, they graduated, they had a, their coding degree, and they applied to find their job to 392 positions. They applied 392 jobs and they plotted everything. It was really interesting. It was such a technical way to approach the job hunt. How many people apply to 400 jobs when they're looking for work? That's a lot. Applied to 392 places and he tracked how many places asked him for a second interview. He tracked, he tracked when they responded to him and how much they offered him, what the job was and whether or not he got the second interview, whether he got offered a job. And what's interesting is that actually after four or five months, he started getting offered better jobs for more money. 
He leveraged the earlier interviews to get better positions. And there's some technical things when you're in that industry. You have to take tests to prove you can do the job because it's a science or math job. So they make you do these math or science problems or coding problems. And he explained how the lower paying jobs made you take one set of tests. And once you could pass those tests, you could actually apply for the higher paying jobs without even doing the lower paying job. The first job he got offered was around $40,000 a year. And he finally took a job at one forty. dollars It was very interesting. There's other elements. But the key is that he approached his job hunt very scientifically and kept increasing his value in between interviews. So rather than thinking, I've been out of work for six months, I'm desperate. He started thinking, I've been out of work for six months because I'm better. He was continually studying, continually improving his knowledge. The way you use your days when you're in between jobs will massively change how you act in your interviews. So the lesson I want you to take home today is that there's a huge difference between perception and reality. Stop focusing on reality, start focusing on perception, and you can make a lot more money. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Serve No Master. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss another episode. We'll be back tomorrow with more tips and tactics on how to escape that rat race. Head over to servenomaster.com forward slash podcasts now for your chance to win a free copy of Jonathan's bestseller, Serve No Master. All you have to do is leave a five-star review of this podcast. See you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Serve No Master podcast. To find out how you can get a free copy of my new book, head over to servenomaster.com backslash podcasts right now.